Thanks for listening to the City Church Podcast. This sermon is part of our series entitled Glorious Perspective, where we will see how the Sermon on the Mount outlines God's plan for a life of joy. For more information and resources, visit www.ourcitychurch.org. Well, good morning. Welcome back. It's good to see everyone here this week. Um, do, y'all, do you appreciate Justin as much as I do? Can we just let him know how much we appreciate him? It's great to have him here. It's great to be here. We've made it. We made it Glorious Perspective Week 8. So if you have missed the past couple weeks or if you're new with us, we've been walking through G- the introduction to Jesus' most famous sermon, famous speech he ever gave. We've been walking through the first eight phrases of that. We call them um, the Beatitudes of Jesus. And so this has been just so good in my life, so good for my soul. Um, I've just really enjoyed learning about it. And I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to bring this last Beatitude to you this morning. And so if you recall, we our passage this morning is found in Matthew chapter 5. There we go. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray this morning. God, we love you. Lord, let us hear from you this morning, God. Let us be attentive to what you have to say, God. Speak through me this morning, God. Let us hear your word. In your name I pray. Amen. So let's go on a little journey this morning back in time. So I want you to get back into the mindset of a student. Um, I want you to think back to your, reminisce a little bit to when you were a student. For some of us, it hasn't been that long. For others, you might be a student now. And for others of us, it might have been a while. No matter what the situation is, no matter, I'm sure you can get back in that mindset. I'm sure you can think back to when you were a student, when you were in school every day. For me, it's been about two years since I was a full-time student. Yeah, not that long. But I was, I was your typical B student. I did decent in school. Um, I never, tr- I enjoyed school. I was good at it. Never tried too hard to get the A's. I, I got an occasional A. I got an occasional C. Um, but for the most part, it was, I was a B student. And I remember this one class in particular that, well, it wasn't my best class. It was my last semester senior year, and it was a Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night class from six to nine. Spanish literature. Now, if you're a lit person in here, Bless your soul. I'm, I'm not wired like that. I was a business major. I, and so this class, it was so boring, and I struggled so much through it. And I get to the, the, last, the last month of the class, and I sit down before my professor one week, and he looks at me and says, Luke, you need a B to pat on this final to pass my class. So I hear, Luke, you need a B to graduate. And my blood pressure goes up a few points. Because I know that I've struggled so hard. So I study and I study, and my wife helps me study and study and study and study and study. And eventually I get to the test. And it being the only test that I studied for that, that, that semester, 
I did pass, praise the Lord, to the glory of God. I passed that test, and I was able to move on with my life. But I, I started thinking about that, and I started thinking about that, how every semester through school, there was always that one class, there was always that one test, that one area that I struggled in, that I had to think about, that I had to process through. Now, maybe for you, you didn't have that class. You were a day student, and classes were nothing to you. You just went through them, got your A, and left. And, or maybe for you, you didn't worry about tests either, but for another reason on the other side of the spectrum. But whatever your schooling was, however you, you went through school, you, you, you learned to measure how you learned the material, how well you got to know this material by the test, by the final exam. Even in life, you, have it, you have, end up having tests in your job, and you have tests to learn how to drive, and your, your, your life is marked by this, this ongoing series of tests to, to see how well you've learned what you've been lurk, working on. And so we get to this eighth beatitude, this last, this last phrase of Jesus in his introductory speech, and it seems a little different. It reads a little odd compared to the others. The others were these internal realities that built up inside of you. And from the get-go, you read it and you're like, wait, wait a minute. This seems different. This seems external. This seems, what is weird about this, this, this beatitude? Well, I want to contend with you this morning. I want to kind of put in your mind that, that this does have its internal response to God. This, this, this beatitude within itself has two parallel streams running right next to each other to get you to where you need to be with the, the, the beatitudes. The first is the internal. The first is this response to God. And the second is the external. The second is the actual persecution, what is actually happening to you. It is the examination for the soul. It is, have you internalized the truths that I've been talking about for so long? Have they come into reality? It is your test. So, how can I say that is it a test? I mean, I've got to be very clear here because you can't... Can you test these things? Are they, are they something that can be proven? Who is, who is getting tested? Who is Jesus speaking to? Why, why are they being persecuted? And so we go back to our scripture. We go back to the first, the first half of each verse, of verse 10 and 11. It says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. In verse 11, it says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So, who, who, is, being, who is being persecuted here? Well, Jesus made it very clear. He said, Blessed are those who are being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Not blessed are those who are being persecuted for their religious zealous or their, or their socio-political agenda, or whatever they have going on. Not, they're not being persecuted because of that. They're not, the blessings don't come through that. The blessings come when you're being persecuted for righteousness. But why does Jesus say it twice? Why does he repeat himself with this beatitude and not with the others? I realized something the other day when reading the scripture. I got this, this mental image of what was happening. So I see Jesus standing, standing up on, on the mountain, and he gets, he gets in preacher mode. He, apparently he fixes his tie. He stands up there, you know, and he starts preaching. He says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes, and he goes, and he goes, and he gets to this eighth beatitude. And he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he realizes something in his divine foreknowledge. He realizes something in his divinity that the 12 men who were sitting in front of him, the 12 closest people to him, were sitting there listening to the sermon. And he saw an opportunity to speak into their lives. He saw an opportunity. He saw the future knowing that they were going to be the ones persecuted. And he paused. Now, to your average listener, this pause probably felt a little weird. Because he went, blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs, for they shall be called sons of God. And then he stops. Or he says, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he stops. He goes, and he looks away. He looks down. He looks at his disciples. And he says, blessed are you when you are beaten, when you are slandered against, when you are insulted, when you are killed, because of me. See, what did he do there? What did he do in the minds of the disciples? See, Jesus created a very tangible line from himself and righteousness. He created a path that says, if you want to be righteous before God, if you want to be right in the place, if you want to embody these beatitudes, you have to look like me. See, Jesus is the physical embodiment of the beatitudes. He is meekness. He is mercy. He is righteousness. He is all these things all wrapped up in one. He is the peacemaker. And Jesus said, in order to be Per, blessed are the persecuted. In order to be persecuted and be blessed in it, you have to first look like me. You have to first function like me. You have to first act like me. See, one great author puts it this way. It says, you can look at it on the screen, it says, Christ-likeness produces in it the same reaction today as it did when he was on earth. Let me, let me re- say that another way. If you look like Christ, people are going to act like Treat you like he was treated. So how is Christ treated? How, what, what do we have to expect? What, what expectations do we have in this realm? John chapter 15. Starting in verse, seven, uh, starting in verse 18, excuse me, says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but... You are not of this world, but I have chosen you out of this world because this world, because of this, the world hates you. And that was the voice of Jesus. That was his calling. He says, guys, they've hated me. Guys, I make peace. I'm, I'm purity. See, why did they hate Jesus? Because he was pure and he called the, he called the Pharisees to purity. See, if you remember one of the earlier sermons, we, we read this passage that said, oh you, oh, you Pharisees, you clean the outsides of your cup, but the insides is dirty. He, he called them out over and over and over again, and that's what, that's what they hated. That's why they hated him. But what they really hated is that he wouldn't stop. See, if he just searched for purity and didn't try to make peace with the others around him, it wouldn't be a big deal because, well, he would be alone. Or, if he just tried to make peace with those around him, but didn't look after purity, well, he would compromise his own, his own morals, and they wouldn't care at that point either. But because he was trying to make peace, and because he was trying to make others pure, make others like himself, they hated him. And, they said, and he says, you will become like me. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they are like me. So I, I was looking for an illustration this week, uh, a way to show you what I'm talking about. And I found one. Now, 
I'm not a biologist. Um, I didn't do well in biology. That was one of those C courses I was telling you about earlier. So if this analogy is a little wrong, extend a little grace because it really paints a picture for you of what it's like to look like Jesus. The research I was doing this week was was what happens if you would take a species out of its normal ecosystem, its normal environment, and place it in a new environment, into a new ecosystem. One of a couple things could happen. See, the first thing that could happen is the species would have the right food source and no enemies, no natural enemies there. And so it would eat and reproduce, and eat and reproduce, and eat and reproduce, and, and eventually the food source would get scarce, so other species would leave, and it would keep eating, keep reproducing, until there was no food source left, and there were no enemies, and there was nothing to reproduce the food source, and they would die off. That's one thing that could happen. Now, the second thing that could happen is... The ecosystem itself would recognize that there is an intruder, would recognize that there is something different about this creature, and would fight back. So the water might not be so clean for it, and the food source isn't the perfect thing to keep it sustained. And the, the plants and the animals in the area just naturally sense that there's something wrong, and it becomes their life mission to seek it out and destroy it. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 11 says, Brothers, beloved, I urge you as strangers and aliens. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new hath come. You are a new creature. You are a different species. You no longer look like this world when you're in Christ. When you're in Christ, you no longer function as this world functions. When you look like Christ, the world sees the enemy. The world sees the difference. You have become the antithesis of everything that the world holds dear, and it's going to seek you out. It's going to try to destroy you. That's what he promised. John Piper, one of the... One of the Famous theologians and authors of our day says it like this. If you, if you cherish chastity, your life will be an attack on people's love for free, free sex. If you walk humbly with your God, you will expose the evils of pride. If you are spiritually minded, you will expose the worldly mindedness of those around you. What am I saying? I'm saying if you're meek, you're going to be a defense to those who are pride. If you seek righteousness, people are going to want you to lie. They're going to want you to trip up. If you are a peacemaker, you're going to rub people the wrong way. I'm saying if you look like Christ, things are going to come up against you. This world is going to hate you. It's a promise of Scripture that Christ is not loved by the things of this world. James chapter 1 says, when you encounter, rejoice when you encounter trials of many kinds. Philippians chapter 1 says, suffer for his sake. First Peter chapter 5 says, after you have suffered for a while, see, over and over and over again, we receive this promise from scripture that says, if you look like Christ, Jesus says, if you look like me, you're going to have to pick up your cross, you're going to have to carry it, and they're going to crucify you on it. So I have a question for you this morning. Simple question. Who do you look like? What species are you? Do you look like this world? Do you function as this world functions? Do you cut the same jokes? Say the same words? That's just what I do, Luke. That's just what it takes to make it in my job. I have to be accepted by my coworkers. I have to be accepted by my boss to get that promotion, to make that more money. Or do you look like Jesus? Do you seek righteousness? 
Do you hunger for righteousness? Do you seek purity and peace? And I can feel the wrestling. I know because I had it this week. See, it can be a gauge. This can be a test. This, this persecution can be a test because as you look more and more like Jesus, they're going to come up against you. So if nobody's coming up against you, if everything in this world says, you're okay, you're part of us, well, what's the problem? And the wrestling begins that says, well, I want to be liked. I want my friends to like me. I don't, I don't want to be hated at my job. I don't want to be ostracized there. Why, why, why can, how can I stand? Why would I want to look like Jesus if that means everything in this world is going to, going to come up against me? And I would say you're missing the second stream of this reality, of this beatitude. See, the first stream, yes, it's that test. It's that, it's that external persecution that comes out of, being, of looking like Jesus. But the second stream, the second reality, is your internal response to the Lord through this. See, let me tell you a story out of, out of Scripture. It's about these three men. Now, these three men were righteous before God. And they were, they were taken out of out of their natural habitat. And they were implanted into a new ecosystem. Now this ecosystem was hostile to their righteousness. This ecosystem knew they were different. These men's names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it came to a, it came to a head one time when the king was standing in front of them and he gave them an ultimatum. He said, you can look like us. You can function like us. You can eat our foods, bow to, my, bow to our gods, and we are not going to have a problem with you. I will let you continue on your way, and everything's going to be okay. Or you can look like your God. You can function like your God. You can be righteous because your God says you have to be, and I'm going to destroy you. But there's no middle ground here. I want you to hear their response. And before you hear it, I want to kind of speak faith into your life right now. I want you to understand that this, that I want something to build inside of you because this response will change how you see persecution. This response will change how you function in your day to day. This response will make you want to be more like Christ. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Essentially, they looked at him and said, King, you know what we're going to say. You know that we're righteous. You know that we're not of your species. That we will never be of your species. See, if it be so, our God whom we serve will be, is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But even if he does not... Hear that. Even if he does not, we will, bow, we will not bow to you. And how can, how can these men say that? How can they have this kind of faith that says, yeah, you, you came up against me, and even though you did, I'm not going to change. How could David say in the Psalms, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How can Paul say in Philippians, 
for me to live as Christ and to die as gain because they saw something, because they understood a reality that was deep inside their bones, because they had embodied these beatitudes, and they knew the internal response that this last beatitude called. See, the internal response of these beatitudes says, persecution for the sake of righteousness produces a divine confidence in God's faithfulness. Persecution for the sake of righteousness. When you are being persecuted because you look like God, you can be confident because God is faithful. And He is steadfast and He is not going to let you go. So how do we internalize this? How do we make this reality real in our lives? How do we change who we are, how we see the world? How do we change how we function in our job? We're poor in spirit. Knowing that nothing we can do earns us our place before God. We're meek. We mourn over our sin. We are meek, knowing that God is for our good. We have a hunger for righteousness, and we are hungry to see others' righteousness. We show mercy and receive mercy, knowing that when the persecution comes, I will still love them. I will still give them mercy. We are pure in heart. Knowing that our actions are out of purity, a love for God, and out of this desire to see others come to Him. And we are peacemakers, knowing that if we do not connect these people to the, the power source, if we do not turn the light on in their home, they will never come to God. See, how can we know that God is faithful? It's because we have built a foundation to stand on. We are standing on His reputation. We are standing on His name. And then nothing that comes up against us can shake us. How can we be blessed in persecution? Because we are not standing on our religion, because our religion will crumble. We are not standing on our agendas, our agendas will crumble. We are standing on Christ and His name, and that will never crumble. See, the... One of the points I'm trying to make is you can when you rely on His faithfulness, therefore you can trust in His promises. See, He's promised you something. He has, he has made a promise out of you. See, His first promise that He ever gave in His first sermon of His earthly ministry was a simple one. And He reiterates it in this eighth beatitude. He says, out of the response that says, I know God is faithful, we can trust, it says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. See, as, as the blessed, as these internal attitudes build on top of each other, so do the promises. So, you're poor in spirit. God says yours is the kingdom of heaven. Because you become poor in spirit, I will give you the kingdom of heaven. And then you mourn, so He comforts you. And out of that comforting, you, you, you begin to inherit the earth. And out of this inherit, you are satisfied with His righteousness. And through your satis- through the satisfaction, you start to receive the mercy of God. And as you receive His mercy, you, you understand that you can see God as Moses saw God, as Isaiah saw God, as Paul saw God. And as you see God, you realize that He has called you His Son, and that you are a son. And as a son, you are open to His inheritance. And His inheritance is the kingdom of heaven. And out of that inheritance, you become comforted when you mourn. And out of that comforting, you see where I'm going. This is a cycle that builds, that makes you more and more like Jesus. And out of that mourning, you start to inherit. And out of that inheritance comes satisfaction. We call this process in Christianity sanctification. But in simple terms, it means I'm becoming every day more 
more like Jesus. My very DNA is changing. I look like Christ. And as we know, Christ-likeness in itself produces in it today the same reaction it did when He was on earth. And so, through this reaction, through this, comes persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they look like me. So, I ask again this morning, who do you look like? Do you look like Christ? Have you internalized these beatitudes? Have you become poor in spirit? Every week, we've been giving you this prayer. And, and as Justin said, we're gonna, you're going to get a full list of them as, as you're dismissed in a, in a little bit. But I, want, I wanted to give you a prayer this morning. A thought. Something to go in front of your week. Because to internalize this reality means that the persecution is coming, friend. It means that the world is going to fight against you. It means that as a new species, as a new creature, you are going to be sought out and sought after. So let me, this prayer, it, it rounds off this series. It, it starts where we began, just like Jesus started where he began. It says, God, I stand in your reputation. I stand in your reputation. Let me, help me see you. See, to see God, to be poor in spirit, builds in us these realities of the Beatitudes. And as these Beatitudes build, we become more and more like Christ, leading to the eventual persecution. But we can stand on His reputation. We can stand on Him knowing that not our past, because our past is broken, and not our future, but on Him we can stand strong. And so there are a few people in here this morning that I want to I talk with. And I want to I ask you a few questions. See, the first person I want to talk to, you have never been persecuted. You've, you've done the Christianity thing. You've, you've, you've been religious your whole life, but you've never come up, up, up against the world. And I have a few questions for you. First of all, who do you look like? Have you made any effort to look like Jesus? Now, it would never be my goal to talk somebody out of their salvation. However, Philippians chapter 2 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so, if you don't look like Jesus, friend, as little Christ, if you don't even look like Christ, what, what are you doing? Come to Him. Be poor in spirit this morning. That's where we need to begin. The second person I want to... I wanna, talk to this morning is the one who's been persecuted. The person who has come, has seen the persecution arise in their life, and yet every time they, it comes, every time they crumble, they fall short, they back down. They don't try to make peace, but they, they just cover over, they gloss over it and move on. Are you that person this morning? Have you, have you, do you crumble anytime opposition comes your way? Do you fall short when persecution comes? 
And my, my encouragement for you this morning, my challenge for you this morning is to stand on the reputation of Jesus, to trust in Him. And everything will come through that. And the last person I want to encourage this morning is you, you are going through it right now. That, that father of yours, just he doesn't understand why you're a Christian. That, that husband or wife, they don't get it. And they, may, they cut the jokes when you're around them. They, they tear you down. They beat you down. And yet, you're still fighting for them. And you're still calling out for them. That coworker, that every time you come there, they, they make fun of Christians. And you don't stand up. And I want to encourage you to say, stand on his reputation. Be strong in the Lord. Look like Christ. And I promise you, friend, eventually they will see the gospel. See, the world hates the gospel. But we have, we have victory. Jesus has promised us victory over the world. And so the band is going to sing a song of declaration this morning. And I want to pray it over your lives that says, Jesus has overcome he has overcome your circumstances. He has overcome your, your spouse or your brother or your sister who you haven't talked to in 20 years because they don't get why you're a Christian. They actually hate Christians and they hate you because of it. But you are called to be a peacemaker. You are called to be pure. And so it is in your calling to go to them, although it's going to hurt, although it's going to be painful, it is in your calling to walk over to them and say, because I love you, because Jesus loves you, I will not let this go. Come to me, Jesus is saying. So as we sing, just wrestle in your spirit. What, who do you look like this morning? And then what are you going to do because of it?